Good morning, everyone. We are so glad that you're with us today. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are uh, excited that next week is, of course, Easter Sunday. We've got a lot of things planned. Uh, and we have invite cards for you to use uh, to invite people to come and be part of those things. Friday night, we've got a prayer walk that we're doing at both campuses. And then, of course, Sunday, our Easter services at both campuses. And you can take these cards. They're on the counter at the information counter on your way out. They'll be on your right, right there on that counter. There's a pack of five uh, that are, are strapped together with a rubber band. Just take a pack of five. Or if you need more than that, take two packs. If you've got that many, you're going to invite. Some of you don't have that many friends, but invite anybody. It's okay. Uh, they don't have to even be your friends to invite them to Easter Sunday. So we encourage you to do that. We are finishing up today a series called The Daniel Dilemma. And in this series, we've been looking at how Daniel was transplanted from his home to a foreign country, living under the rule of a foreign king. It was a very pagan culture filled with idol worship. And yet he was able to stand firm as a child of God, but still love well and keep a good reputation in that culture that he was living in. And so each week we've been looking at some pretty dramatic stories of how Daniel did that. Uh, not just Daniel, but his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, we looked at how they were threatened and still stood firm while loving well. And today we're going to look at another example of that in Daniel's life. In fact, if you were raised in church, this might be one of your favorite Bible stories. If you turn with me, if you would, to Daniel chapter 6. In Daniel chapter 6, we have the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Now, I was not raised in church, and I didn't know anything about this story as a kid growing up. When I first heard it, I thought, this is pretty amazing. I, I want to read more about this. And, and I love teaching from this story because it's so full of great application for us and our world and our culture today. We're so glad, Smyrna Campus, you guys are here connecting with us. We're glad everybody's connecting online. Let's all look together right now at this story in Daniel chapter 6. Uh, Daniel, contrary to the flannel graphs you had in Sunday school, was not a young man now. I mean, I, I do remember seeing when I got into the ministry, the flannel graph stories, you know, they would do with the, the kids in the classrooms, and they would put up that flannel graph of Daniel in the lion's den, and he looked like a kid. He's over 80 years old now at this point. He's been there in this foreign land this whole time, living out, standing firm, and loving well the whole time. One of the things that impresses me most about Daniel is the consistency of his testimony and his example. Uh, I can't say I have had the kind of consistency like, like Daniel all the time. I wish I could, and, and I work on it, and I've tried, and maybe you can't either. But, but the point is we can learn from him how he did that, and we can do better moving forward by looking at his example. So Daniel is now uh, an older man, uh, and something else has happened since uh, last week's message. Uh, between chapters 4 and 5, something happens there in what was Babylon, they are overthrown by another government. Another king comes in and overthrows them, the Persian king, and his name is Darius. Darius now is ruling and still recognizes Daniel as a valuable contributor, as an advisor. Uh, Daniel is still in leadership, even with this new king. Now, that's unusual when, when 
a, a transition takes place in government, usually, we see it all the time here in the U.S., when a new leader comes in, and not just president, but other levels too, a lot of times they, they get rid of the people that were there with the old administration, and they bring in their own people with the new administration, because they're the ones they know and, and are comfortable with. But Daniel had such a great reputation that even with this change of administration, they keep him in that leadership role that he had. Think about what kind of reputation he must have had for that to happen. And see, the challenge for us is we're in a culture that is not uh, as, as inclined to support our faith and our, our beliefs and our values, but can we maintain the kind of reputation in that culture consistently by how we live and how we act where we still have that kind of respect among our peers? That's, that's a challenge for us. And so we could see from Daniel here that he was able to do that. And he's still in this position of authority. And uh, he's in this position where he's in authority with about uh, over different areas of the kingdom. Uh, there, it's probably one of four or five men that are in these leadership positions that Daniel's in. But Darius has this idea because Daniel's reputation is so strong, so good that he would take Daniel and elevate him to an even higher position, second in command over the whole kingdom. Wow, what, what an honor. Here he is in a pagan culture, but he's been able to stand firm. You could read it. He's never co compromised at all his faith in God, his commitment to God, and yet he still is so well-loved and respected that Darius, the new king, wants to put him second in command of the whole kingdom. It looks like God's just blessing Daniel and everything's good. I mean, isn't that what you hear from some preachers in our culture today? Oh, just love God and he's going to take care of you. Everything's going to be good. You'll just be blessed all the time. The problem is when you read the historical account of God's people, that's not always the case. God allows, it says in Scripture, rain to come on the just and the unjust. He allows hard things, struggles, suffering. And Daniel's gone through a few already, but here's another one that begins to happen. Daniel's co-leaders that he was working with, when they heard of the king's plan to elevate him to that position, there's no doubt jealousy rose up among them. And they decided they didn't like the idea that Daniel would be elevated above them. And so the scripture tells us in this chapter that they really wanted to find a way to bring Daniel down and keep him from having this position over them and, and, and make them, I think, in their eyes look bad because they didn't get that position themselves. So let's look here in Daniel. We're going to look at how this transpires in Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administration, uh, administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps that by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Wow, what a testimony. But here's what we find. We're going to look at four principles today that, that we might face 
in this culture of compromise as Christians today. The first one is this. Advancement often brings opposition. What looks like a blessing, what looks like a great opportunity, can oftentimes bring opposition to God's people. We've seen it transpiring in our culture more now in America than we have in a long time because now there was a time where if you were in a leadership role and and you could say, I'm a Christian and I belong to the church, that was to your advantage in our culture to say that. But now it's not as much to your advantage. In fact, in some cases we've seen in our culture where that actually will be used against you when you try to have some position of leadership or influence or try to have influence over others in any way. It doesn't have to be a government position. It could be any leadership role at all. But but we see it in in national government. We see it in state government. We see it in local associations where the idea that you are committed to godly values might be used as something that says, well, that means you can't do your job well. You can't represent everybody well. If you say you love God and want to follow the teachings of Scripture, we see it right now in some government appointees that are up for approval right now. That's being brought up against some of them right now, that they claim to be conservative followers of godly teaching. And so they're saying that disqualifies them. Well, these other leaders aren't doing it so much for that reason as they are of jealousy. They just didn't want to see Daniel get above them. And so they immediately went to work trying to find something they could use against Daniel. And the amazing thing is, uh, I mean, think about this. If they were to look in your life or my life, could they find something they could use against us? Most likely, right? They could at least twist it to make it look like they had something to use against us. Right. And sometimes it would be legitimate. There are things we failed. We've not done everything exactly like we should have said everything the way we should have said it. They they could probably dig up things that they could use against us. I mean, look at me as a pastor. Almost all my sermons for many, many years now are on video out there on YouTube. Right. And you could pick little segments out of, you know, different messages along the way and splice things together and, and make me say almost anything you'd want me to say that use against me. I, I know people actually do that kind of stuff and they pull it out of context and try to make it say something it maybe not even intended to mean at all. And yet they tried and tried with Daniel and couldn't find anything that they could use against him. Even his work ethic was so good, you couldn't say anything against that, right? He was not negligent. He took care of things. He, he, he stayed on top of things. What a great example. Could, could they say that about all of us as Christ followers in our place of business, in our workplace, in our role and culture? That we, we set an example for everybody else in how we do our jobs, that we do it that well. Or are we the complainers that are always trying to get out of something, right? Or always critical of how they're running the business or whatever. You know, think about it. Which place would we be in if they were to look at our record? But Daniel's got this great record, and it's amazing. And what a testimony to his life, how he was able to stand firm and still love well through all of this. In verse 6, let's continue. They couldn't find anything that way. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, 
May King Darius live forever. <laughs> now, that was, it sounds pretty uh, uh, flamboyant to enter in front of the king that way, but that was a common greeting for kings at that time. Uh, you wanted to have the favor of the king when you had an audience with him and were able to, to get in there to see him. So that was one of the common greetings they would give to the king to stay on his good side. Verse 7, the royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. So they've come up with this plan. The only thing they can use against Daniel is his faith. His core values, what he believes. They're finding a way that they can use that against him. And that's what we see happening in our culture a lot today. We see them taking those core values, those core beliefs of Scripture, and then using that against people. Instead of it being a good thing, they're saying it's a bad thing that they have these core values. So they see Daniel's core values. They know his faith. They know what he believes. They know he only worships the one true God. So they say, we want to issue this decree that they can't pray to any God or any person but you, O king, for the next 30 days. Now, in most cases, when somebody's trying to do something, there's some dishonesty involved when they're trying to tear somebody down. Not always, but in most cases, there is some dishonesty involved in how it's presented they said, all of us leaders in all of these positions have all agreed that this is what we ought to do, king. This is the decree you ought to make. Is that true? We know for a fact Daniel wasn't part of this. I mean, Daniel's one of those in those positions they just listed. He's not included in this. It's like sometimes people may come to you at work or at school or, or they may come to you at church and say, everybody's mad about this, right? Everybody is. And you know everybody's not, but that's how it's presented, right? Everybody's upset. And that's how they come to the king and say, everybody says this is the right thing to do, king. Now, the king, you know, it was... He, he's trusting these guys, but he, he didn't check it out. He assumes that what they're telling him is true, that everybody thinks this is good. And so uh, he's thinking, all right, every, everybody's in agreement here. So here's what he says in verse 8. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. So even though it looked like Daniel is being blessed. It looked like Daniel has got God's favor because he's going to have this great new position that he's being put in. Actually, what was happening is opposition was rising up against Daniel. You see, you could be obedient to God, love Jesus, and commit to following his word. But when you do that, you need to understand that as sometimes as a parent, sometimes as, you know, whatever your job is and your role at work, sometimes, you know, even the good things that seem to be happening to you, you have to understand not everybody necessarily is going to be happy about that and support that, especially if you've been someone who's been uh, very uh, obvious in your faith and people know that you're a Christian and they're being neglected, but you're being given something they're not being given. And now they don't like it. 
and they want to use it against you, you can be sure that just because you're loving God and following God, that doesn't mean you're not going to have opposition in your life. You shouldn't expect not to have opposition just because you are trying to live the way God wants you to live. It's never been that way for God's people, ever, that they didn't have opposition, even though they were honoring God in their lives. Scripture is clear on this. And in 1 Peter 4, verse 12, he even talks about this. He said, he says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. All right, this is New Testament now. This is followers of Christ. These are people that have, that have gone against the grain of their culture to follow Jesus. And, and now bad things are happening and they're being threatened and persecution is rising up. And they're acting like, I can't believe God's letting this happen to us. And Peter says, you shouldn't think this is strange. This is normal. This, this has been happening throughout all of history. God's people have had to face opposition. The whole time. Now here in America, it's strange to us because for the whole history of our country, we haven't had to face much of this. And now that we are, we act like this is something totally strange, totally unheard of that God would let this happen to his people. Just read a little of the history of scripture. Just read a little history of the church around the world. There's been opposition the whole time for Christ's followers. So let's not think it strange that if we are promoting Christianity and try to promote the cause of Christ, that opposition is going to rise up against us. The second principle that we see taking place here, I think, is, well, if you face opposition, that's going to bring challenges, right? Opposition brings challenges. And, and certainly Daniel has a challenge that he's facing now. And when we face opposition, we've got a challenge and we've got to decide how we're going to face it. What are we going to do? How are we going to respond to the challenge. Let's look at verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the, the, uh, that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. As soon as he learns what the decree is, what does Daniel do? Does he organize a boycott? Does he say, let's do a march on the streets against the king? Let's rebel against, is that what he does? What does he do? Does he storm the palace with a whole group of people? No. He does what he's always done. He stands firm, but he still loves well in the face of the opposition and the challenge. He goes to his upper room, just like he'd always done, upstairs room, there's a room there that had windows facing Jerusalem, and he would get down on his knees three times a day in that room and pray to his God. Did he know the decree? Yes. Did he know that it said that if you prayed to any other God but the king, that you could be thrown into the lion's den? Yes, he knew all of that. And his first response is, I'm going to do what I've always done. I love God. I've always prayed to God. I'm going to keep praying to God. I want to keep honoring God, being obedient to God, even if that's what the decree is that the king has. So he goes and he prays those three times in a day. Let's look at the, what happens next. Verse 11, then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying. You think they might have been watching for it? 
Yeah. All right. They found Daniel praying. Uh, and uh, when, they, when they did this, when they went and found him praying, it means they went there for that purpose. Okay. That they were trying to catch him. They felt like he would do. That's how great his reputation was. They were confident he would still do this. Even after the, the decree was declared. I, I love that. Okay. Uh, they, they found him praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except you, your majesty would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Now, they didn't start out with Daniel's praying. They started out with now, didn't you make this decree, King? And isn't it in the law now? And isn't it a law that according to our, our laws, the way we do it, it can't be repealed? Is, isn't that true, King? Let's remember now what we're, what we're dealing with. And the king says, yeah, yeah, that's all true. Absolutely. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decrees you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Now, he doesn't give us all the details of everything he did to try to save him, but most likely he, he sent people or he himself tried to talk to Daniel. He said, man, listen. You can't be doing this. You know, we got this decree that was made. He probably even found out for the first time Daniel had no knowledge of the recommendation they had made for this decree. He's probably just finding that out for the first time. And so he's trying to do everything he can to save Daniel. And that says something about the king's relationship with Daniel. The king has this position. He's made the law. He can't, go, he can't change the law according to the way they did it. It had to be set for that 30 days. It couldn't be repealed. So that puts the king in this position that he didn't want to be in. And he's trying to figure out some way to save Daniel. But the only way to save him would be for Daniel to say, I'm not going to do this anymore. And Daniel doesn't relent. He doesn't back down. He stands firm. But we don't have any record of him being belligerent. We don't have any record of him uh, trying to overthrow the king's authority. He's simply staying consistently obedient and being respectful to the king at the same time. What a great example for all of us. We see that example again over in the New Testament in Acts chapter 5. Uh, verse 29, there's a passage where Peter and the other apostles have been... Uh, arrested for preaching the gospel and here's just what they say in response we must obey God rather than men it was the Jewish leaders that had had him arrested they saw this as a threat to them and their position and they simply said again they're not storming they're not ranting and raving they simply made the statement well if it comes down to obeying God or man we're going to obey God that's the choice we're going to make you see how you can stand firm and still love well? You can still treat people with respect and dignity. That doesn't mean you have to compromise anything that you believe at all while you do that. You just stay consistent with your faith. Now, you need to make sure it is scriptural. You need to make sure it's not something that is out of line, right? But if it's scriptural and you know it is, and that's what you're supposed to be doing, then you just stay consistent. You stand firm while still loving well at the same time. 
You know, Daniel could have decided, we're doing this 30 days. I'll still pray to God, but I'll, I'll go off into a closet and do it. I'll, I'll find some times where nobody's around, and I'll check and be sure, and I'll do it. Yeah. I mean, aren't there, aren't there times we think, well, I can still be faithful to God, but not really stand as firm as we should stand? We look for the loopholes. <laughs> we, we do. We look for the loopholes a lot of times where it would be easier not to have to deal with that and the opposition we know that's going to be there. So we just kind of find ways around it instead of just consistently doing what we've been doing before when it becomes a problem. I like the fact that Daniel doesn't change not only the fact that he prayed to God, but the way he prayed to God. He just kept doing it consistently the way he'd always done it. And he did it without making a big show out of it. You see, this wasn't a show when he did it. He has always done it this way. He wasn't saying, I'm going to prove you can't make me not pray to God. He's not out there on the street corner, you know, ranting and raving like that. He's just doing what he's always done. I've, I've talked about this a lot over the years, but I, I hear Christians a lot of times saying, you know, things got bad in this country when they took prayer out of schools. They never took prayer out of schools. It's never been taken out of school. Any one of your children in school that wants to pray can pray right now in any school in the country. Now, what they did change was a teacher leading prayer in the schools. And quite frankly, there's some points of that I agree with. We got a lot of teachers that don't believe in God, don't believe in Scripture, or believe in another God or another religion. I don't want them leading my kid in that prayer, right? But your child can be taught you can pray in your heart, in your mind, anywhere, anytime. You don't have to have a teacher-led prayer to do that. They can't take prayer away from us as long as we want to pray. They can't. Because anybody can pray anywhere, anytime. And all the time. That's why it says pray without ceasing, right? Well, how do you do that? Uh, please don't bow your head and close your eyes while you're driving. We, uh, we went to Chattanooga yesterday. We knew the weather was bad. We checked it out and all that. And on the way back, we hit some bad rain. On the way down, we hit a pocket of bad rain. And I can assure you, my prayer life was strong on that drive. <laughs> right? It was strong. I always have a prayer going on in my head all the time. I do. I have communication with God going on all the time. And you can too. Now, are there times you need to stop and maybe get on your knees or, or go into a clock? Yeah, absolutely. But that doesn't mean you can't be praying all the other times too. Okay? So don't think that it has to be this political rebellion because they took prayer out of school. No, just keep praying. Teach your kids to keep praying. Nobody can stop that unless you stop it. You're the only one that can stop it. So we've got this... Uh, got this opportunity I think in the culture that we live in like Daniel had that even if the government changes even if the laws change even if the culture around us changes and it is changing in a way that I don't really like in a lot of ways it doesn't change the fact that we can still stand firm if we choose to but we can still do it in a way where we love well if we choose to Daniel lived it out. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego lived it out. Remember we looked at their being thrown into the furnace because they, they wouldn't bow down to the idol, right? We can still do it. It may cost us more. 
It may require more of us. We may even lose some friends in the process. But it's a choice we have to make. Are we going to stand firm in our walk with God and still love well at the same time? And I appreciate the example of of Daniel and his friends. I appreciate the example of the New Testament church. I I appreciate how, how no matter what, they kept the consistency being children of God that they needed to keep. And so as God's people in the church today, I pray that moving forward, we can be more consistently standing firm but loving well at the same time. Okay, let's, let's commit to that. Well, let's look at the, the next progression here of what takes place. Uh, the third thing here is challenges then bring testing. So we need to be faithful in the test. Challenges will bring testing into our lives. Daniel had to face a test now. Look at verse 15. Then the man went as a group to King Darius, said to him, Remember your majesty, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. Yeah, right, okay. So the king gave the order. They brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. That's how the king put him in there. (laughs) I want you to catch this word. May your God, whom you serve, what's that word? Continually. There's the consistency. This wasn't a back and forth thing with Daniel. This wasn't when good times are going, I'll serve God. But when it's a challenge and hard for me, I won't. The king had witnessed Daniel consistently, continually, as an ongoing habit of life, honoring God, worshiping God, serving God. Now, that doesn't mean perfection, by the way. Yeah, sometimes we, we say, I just can't, you know, I fail too many times, I'm messing. That, it's not talking about, continually serving God doesn't mean never messing up, never failing, never, never having a problem. That's not what it means. It means continually, if you do fail, you handle it consistently the way you're supposed to. You repent, you turn from it, you seek forgiveness, you try to, try to make restitution when you can. You handle it the right way, consistently, even if you do fall, even if you do fail. That's the character that you have, where you confess it, you repent of it, you turn from it, and you get back on track and do it God's way. And you do it while still loving God and loving others well. And so Daniel has a test, and that test took him into the lion's den. Now, obviously, the normal outcome of being thrown into a lion's den is what? Yeah, you're food for the lions, right? You are not going to come out of that alive. You're probably not going to have many parts come out of it at all. Maybe a few bones left over. That's normally what would happen. And, and Daniel, how did he handle it? We don't see a fight. We don't see uh, trying to escape. We see Daniel just being consistent, knowing this was the outcome that could happen. And he's thrown into the lion's den as a result. And, you know, I I pray we don't ever get to that place in our country where that might be the outcome of our faith. I, I hope and pray it never gets to that. But, friends... There's no guarantee what could happen in in the years ahead for any of us. 
I can tell you this, there are some countries in the world where an outcome like this would be certain if they're caught. Praying to God, honoring God, serving God. And right now, today, in those countries, people are honoring God, praying to God, teaching God's word, knowing that could be the outcome for them. And I know they've known, in many of those places, they've never known it any different than that. The difference is here in America, we've known it to be quite different, right? We've never faced anything close to that as God's people. Not even close. We, we, we rant and rave about every little thing the government does that we don't like, but we don't have anything like the kind of opposition that many of our brothers and sisters in Christ have and other parts of the world right now. If you haven't already done so, visit the Christian Martyrs website. Uh, they can story after story after story of Christians that are facing persecution and have been executed, many of them, simply for being Christians, period. That's it. Daniel was willing to risk that for God. I don't know how many American Christians are. I don't know how many American Christians are at that level of commitment because at the first sign of any opposition, we tend to just lose our minds over it. Like we can't believe this is happening to us. It's awful. Which might indicate we're not well prepared for the challenges and tests that opposition might bring to us. Because in most cases, we haven't stood firm as well as we should. And almost all cases, we haven't loved well the way we should. We need to grow more, grow deeper, get stronger in our commitment, not just to saying, I'm never going to turn my back on God, but in saying, I'm never going to stop loving people even when they oppose me, when I follow God. We need both of those commitments in our lives. We need them to be just as strong on both sides in our lives. So we can learn a lot when challenges bring testing into our lives. How are we going to respond? Uh, Daniel wasn't alone in that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had faced that. But, but God's people throughout the ages, right? For Moses, it was when he got to the Red Sea and, he, and, and the sea's in front of him and Pharaoh's army is behind him and he had to decide, Right? Am I going to consistently still trust God and follow God? Is that what I'm going to do now? It was Abraham when he's climbing up the mountain with his son Isaac. And Isaac says, well, the wood's here and the stuff for the fire is here for the sacrifice. But where's the sacrifice? Where's the animal for the sacrifice? And Abraham had to decide, do I trust God now enough to stay consistent in my walk faithfully with God? I mean, over and over again in Scripture, Noah, when he cuts the first plank for this thing called an ark, an ark had never existed before. People are going to ridicule him. They're going to, they're going to act like he's a crazy man building this boat up on the hill up there. Why is he doing this crazy thing? And he had to decide, am I going to be consistent in my commitment to God and still care about the people? Because the whole time it says he was preaching repentance to the people while he built the ark. Loving people, standing firm at the same time. 
for David when he went to, as a young man to, to his brother in battle out there with the rest of the army. And this great big giant Philistine is cursing and threatening them and, and cursing their God. And he had to make a decision. Do I stay consistent in my commitment to God and honoring him? Gideon had to decide, will I attack with just 300 men when the army had thousands, even though God told them to do it that way? And we have to decide as the church in America, even if the government starts opposing us more, even if the culture tries to cancel us out, are we willing to commit to stand firm and love well through it all? So the reason I preach this series right now and this time in our country is because I'm convinced that we're going to have to make these decisions more and more and more as Christ followers. It's not going to get better first. It might get better, but that's not going to happen first. It's going to get worse first before it gets better. So how are we going to respond to the testing and the challenges that we're going to face. There's a story of a guy in New Zealand. It was reported by the Associated Press several years back. His name was Ivan. And Ivan had been pulled over many times in his car for not wearing a seatbelt. And he got tired of it. They wrote him tickets after ticket after ticket. He said, you can't make me wear a seatbelt. He was just so upset about it. You know how we get mad at the government for trying to make us do something. And so he decided to fool everybody. And he made this fake seatbelt that he could just throw over his shoulder and make it look like he had a seatbelt on. And he got by with it. You know, they would check him and it looked like he had a seatbelt on and everything was fine until he had a head-on collision. And his head went first into the steering wheel in the dash and killed him. And the medical examiner wrote a report about the accident. It said this, an extra belt with a long strap had been knotted above the seat belt on the driver's side, providing a belt to simply lay over the driver's shoulder. Here's the problem. When it was truly tested, it was proven to be a fake and it failed him. What about our faith? When it's truly tested, has it been a fake all along? Or is it the real deal? Are we truly committed to standing firm and loving well at the same time? Because a fake will fail you every single time. And faithfulness has to be rooted in the knowledge that you can trust God no matter what. That's what it depends on. If you really believe you can trust God no matter what, then like Daniel, you can pray and be arrested and be willing to put into a lion's den because you believe you can trust God. And it didn't mean he trusted that God would keep the lions from eating them up. That's not what it means. It just means he trusted God enough to risk that. He trusted God enough to risk being thrown into a lion's den to stand firm and love well for him. Which leads to the final thing today in this progression. And that is testing brings opportunity. What we think is so bad, what we think we don't like, we don't want, we want to keep away from us, oftentimes brings great opportunity for us to be that witness and the example that God wants us to be. That's what it did for Daniel. It brought a great opportunity for him 
to be such a powerful witness for God. Let's look at verse 21. It says this, Daniel answered when he, when he, uh, he said, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They've not hurt me because I have found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, your majesty. So here's what happened. The king, the next morning, he said he couldn't sleep all night long. He didn't eat. He didn't have any entertainment brought to him. He didn't. He, he just so worried about Daniel. So he rushed out the early the next morning, as soon as it was daylight, and they had the stone pulled back enough that he yelled down in there for Daniel. And Daniel answers this way. Says the king, verse 23, was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. When Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. <laughs> what if Daniel had compromised? What if he had just decided, well, you know, for 30 days, what's the big deal, right? I, I, I can do this for 30 days, just not pray like I usually do and all. I don't have, God would understand, right? Because that's the decree. And, you know, for 30 days, that's, it's not like I'm walking away from my faith. For 30 days, I cannot do this, right? But no, he knew the consequences and he still did it. And this king, who already had great respect for Daniel, what do you think his respect level was now? Not just for Daniel, but for the God of Daniel. What do you think his respect level is now? For the God of Daniel. At the king's command, it says in verse 24, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. Uh, he was upset, wasn't he? This king was mad. He, he's taking revenge. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Now, why did they include that part? Well, I think there's a good reason. You know what the critics would say. Well, the lions had probably just been fed, right? That's why they didn't eat Daniel. They, they, they were just, you know, lions only eat when they're really hungry. They only attack when they're really hungry and need something to eat. So they obviously just weren't hungry. Well, they showed how hungry they were when they threw the other guys in, right? They, they were hungry. They, they immediately devoured the other people when they were thrown in. The point of the story is not, the destruction of those people, the point of the story is the opportunity Daniel had to be such a great example and witness for God. The king ends up issuing a decree that in every part of his kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. It says here, it's another praise course that was written here. He's the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during his reign. Here's the deal. Nebuchadnezzar became a praise and worship leader because of Daniel and his friends and their witness. Here's another foreign king who becomes a praise and worship leader for the God of Daniel because Daniel had that opportunity to be the witness that he was. Here's what I want you to understand. Please hear me out. It doesn't mean they got their lives all in order and only worshiped the one true God. But here's the thing. God was praised. He received praise and glory and honor as a result of that consistency of standing firm and loving well. What I see for us as a church in America today is one of the greatest opportunities we've ever had. The pandemic is part of it. Social injustice has been part of it. The government may be making decisions that we don't like as part of it. Here's the thing. Light shines so much brighter in the darkness. Yeah. 
if we have that consistency of standing firm and loving well, even when things around us seem to be going so wrong, even when there seems to be so much opposition, even when it seems to be so hard, that's when it means more. That's when it stands out more. That's when it has more impact than it's ever had before. When we stand firm and love well, when it's the hardest time to do it. So the challenge for us all is are we going to be people for our time, men and women, who in the face of the opposition we have in front of us may grow quickly, we don't know, it may not, but our commitment needs to be the same no matter what. Lots of opposition or no opposition. Our, our life, our consistency needs to be the same no matter what the conditions are around us. We need to commit to standing firm and loving well. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that, that we've been able to go through these teachings of the example of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and how they stood firm and consistent in their commitment to your word and your teaching, but yet they still had great respect for the people around them who disagreed with them, who even opposed them, who even threatened their lives. And you gave them such a wonderful opportunity to, to, to be able to be that witness for you that brought you glory and honor and praise because of your people in that place. Father, we want to be those people in this place for this time. Help us, Father. Strengthen us with resolve, with the power and presence of your spirit and the teaching of your word that we could stand firm, Father. Never compromise. But, Father, help us not to do it as angry, bitter, revengeful people. Help us to still love well as Jesus stood firm and loved us so well when he went to the cross. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.